Hi, welcome to another episode. I hope you are as excited as I am about going through um, Genesis and the Bible and understanding it in greater depth. And today we're going to talk about death. Was there death before the fall? But as I need to have an introduction because I need to lay some concepts down for us to be able to move through this intelligently. Um, this message is directed towards Christians, but the concept that I'm going to use is can be applied to people uh, with all kinds of ideologies. One of the interesting things about the human mind is that the first thing it hears, it believes it to be fact, because it has nothing to measure it against. And once that information has been integrated into the into the brain, it's hard to remove it. And because of that, it can have we can have our this can have terrible consequences. It's called bias. So how do we overcome bias? Well, the only way to overcome it is to first acknowledge that you probably have it to some degree. We all do. And then be willing to look at new evidence that would contradict your bias and be willing to change your mind. So we see this with, um, this is what Jesus asked people to do. In Matthew 4.17, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So Jesus was coming into a nation uh, a people, the Jewish people, who were very steeped in their traditions and the way they thought um, God operated and what they thought about their nation. And he was telling them, look, you're going to have to change your mind about some things because I'm bringing the true kingdom to the earth. And so um, this is what he wanted them to do. And so I'm, I, I would please ask you to consider doing the same thing and see if what I'm about to say can modify your knowledge about um, Genesis. And one of the things that uh, I read, it was Seven Days That Divide the World by John Lennox, Dr. John Lennox. And basically in the book, <clears throat> one of the premises he works off of is uh, the idea between... He helocentric and geocentric world like and what that means is um geocentric means that it's a belief that everything rotates around the earth what helocentric is everything rotates around the sun and up until i believe if i remember reading it right it was the 17 um 1700s or the 18th century that it was confirmed that the universe was or our solar system was helocentric. But up to that time, people um, understood it to be geocentric. And so when they read, read verses in the Bible, such as Psalms 104, verse 5, who laid the foundations of the earth, that it should not be moved forever. There was this idea that the earth was stable and everything moved around it. In Ecclesiastes 1, 5, it says, the sun also rises and the sun goeth down, and hasten to his place where he arose. And so here again, this, this could be interpreted, interpreted that the sun is actually racing around the earth. And so um, we know differently. We know that the earth rotates around the sun, and that it just appears that the sun is going around the earth from our, our vantage. So the point here is that, Neither of um, 
these views contradict what the point of the, the message is. Psalms, it says, it's asking the question, who laid the foundation? So whether, whether a person believes the foundation is a pillar in the earth that stays on, or it, we now believe that it is the rotation, the foundation is its rotation. It stays, our earth stays in a certain distance from the sun, or it wouldn't, we wouldn't exist. And so either way, um, it doesn't really matter the mechanics of it. What matters is that both views view the idea that God has set the earth in its place. So, um, when this became a reality that the earth, that it was helocentric, people didn't just go like, well, we, that's what the Bible says, and we have to, we can't believe science. We just have to believe that that what the Bible says, and it's, no, what you're saying is you have to believe how your understanding of what the Bible says. And that understanding need to be, needed to be corrected. The Bible's not wrong. The earth has a foundation. It's called the, the uh, orbit. And it, the, it's not wrong that we see the sun coming up in a certain place and going down and then returning to that certain place. So we haven't, we haven't, um, change the meaning of the scripture, all we're doing is changing our perspective or understanding of it. And that's what I believe that we need to do um, when we look at Genesis. And there is good reason for it. Um, I had, as being a young earth creationist and reading it, I really didn't have a good grasp on Genesis as a whole. And once I started doing that, things started falling into line. Um, so there is a bias, a bias about when death entered into the world. And any young earth creationist does not believe death entered in before the fall. And one of the reasons for this is one of the biases for this is they say that a loving God would not have created death as part of his original creation. It, they just can't, they say, you know, you cannot conceive that God would have wanted to do that, but death was the result of man's sin. Um, but I think this argument is on very faulty ground. I think it really has no basis because we live in a world of suffering and God just lets it happen. Defenseless children are abused in horrific ways. Uh, you you think about sometimes I don't know about you but I just think I read something and it just angers me I said why would God let this happen well the Bible says that his ways are not our ways he said to Job when Job was que questioning it all it says where were you when I created everything in other words we don't understand the mind of God and for us to make um, uh, assumptions or critical remarks or things about why they're suffering in the world is absolutely foolish because we don't have the mind of God. And so if you can't say that there's not a reason or a purpose for God allowing suffering in this world now, you can't also say that God would not allow there to be suffering um, before man uh, before man's sin. Um, and so, um, yes, sin did cause death. But the Bible seems to be clear that um, death was the the sin of man caused death to humans. 
Romans 5.12 is a common verse used for this. But read it. It says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered in the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. So, yeah, death entered into the world, but it didn't enter into the whole world. It entered in that it passed upon men. Death came to men and was passed down because every man had sinned. This says nothing, nothing at all about... Um, about uh, animal death or any other type of death. So the other bias that people have, young earth creationists, and I have this bias too, that I do not believe in macro evolution, meaning evolution where one creature changed into another. I simply do not see it in the fossil record. So the fossil record testifies to me that there were all kinds of uh, animals made way more animals than we have today which seems kind of weird because if you evolve from a simple life form into many, why do you have many and now we have less? It seems to me that God created a lot of animals and those animals have died off over time, but they all seem to be complete animals and so many of them seem to be animals who were designed and seem to be like they are today um, that would uh, be able to kill. But the bias is then, well, you can't believe in death before the fall because that would make mean evolution could be true. Well, that's not a good way to, um, to argue for truth. Just because something may help another argument doesn't mean we should argue against it. If it's true, it's true. But the fact that death before the fall has, would have nothing to do with evolution it would just simply mean that animals were designed to kill animals <laughs> and and not it doesn't help for what's called natural selection um, that's a whole different discussion so <clears throat> what i need you to do here is to say okay maybe there was death before the fall but how does that fit into the picture of the bible how does that fit into the story of genesis and and how does that all make sense and this is where I want you to walk through this with me. And one of the best ways I can do this, because it was a revelation to me. I mean, I, I understood this kind of, but it was like it's written down on, in ink. And so what I want to use is, is an article I found on the Answers in Genesis website. And using this article, I am not trying to uh, comment on the sincerity of the author nor his intelligence. I think he's a far smarter man than I am, but... Um, I only want to use it as a tool to demonstrate a faulty way of approaching the Bible and interpreting it. We cannot in, come to the Bible with a bias of, this is the way I believe it, what it says, that kind of bias that you already believe what it says without actually really getting into and examining it. Um, the first part of the article that I want to look at is, um, is here. The more I researched, the more obvious it became that every aspect of a snake's behavior and physique, not just its venom and delivery system, are designed to aid in its survival and to sustain its kind on the planet. The reason I point out this paragraph is because he says, the more I researched, the more obvious it became. So the author states that it is obvious that snakes are designed from the beginning to kill. And he says this 
right down here. For example, there are two types of snakes, venomous and non-venomous snakes. Both appear to be exquisitely designed to kill. Now let's look down just a little bit more. The question became more complicated. Venomous snakes produce two very different kinds of venom. Neurotoxin, venom that attacks the nervous system, and hemotoxin, venom that attacks the blood or circulatory system. It is hard enough to imagine how snakes could have evolved um, one group or class of complex chemicals, yet um, alone two radically different ones. Now I want to go down just a little bit further here. The Bible gave me a whole new perspective on snakes. As a Christian and a creationist, I could now credit the sovereign creator as designer, who made all things for himself, even the wicked for the day of evil. So he states in the beginning of the article that he's, he started out as an atheist, but because of the clear observations of the snake and the way it was designed, it caused him to say there is a God, there is a designer, and that convinced him to become a creationist, a Christian. Then um, he says, down here a little bit further, he says, the fact that snakes are efficient killers no longer bother me. Based on Genesis 1.30, I know I knew that they are not what they used to be. God originally made animals to be vegetarians, not killers, but Adam's fall changed all that. Do you see that? Do you see this? All the author has studied on snakes had led him to believe in a creator, and he's now questioning what he sees because of what this verse says. Could it be possible, just possible, that he's misinterpreting the verse like people would misinterpret the verses about the earth being on a foundation. Could that be possible? I say, yes, it is possible. So, even if you're not going to agree with me on this, I would ask you to please consider it and think about it and walk through it with me. The first thing we have to do in order for us to get to the bottom of this is to understand how Genesis lays out a story. It lays out the geography, the landscape of the earth at the time that it was of the record when it was recorded. So um, we know that there was a complete creation that was good found in Genesis 1, uh, 1 through 25. Because I stop at 1.25 because at that point is the last time God says, and God saw that it was good. And then, um, uh, verses 26 to 31, go on and talk about the creation of man and, uh, and, and such. And then he ends up in 31 saying it's very good. And I see a distinction between 25 and 26 because 25 ends with the creation of animals. 26 picks up with the creation of humans. And... When we lay that against chapter 2, which focuses primarily upon the garden, um, we see certain things, such as in Genesis 2, 7, and 8. And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden east in Eden, 
and there he put the man whom he had formed. Now notice, in Genesis chapter 2, God creates a man and then he plants plants. Well, wait a minute. In Genesis chapter 1, on day 3, he creates plants and these plants are for for the animals on day 6. And... Um, but then he says in Genesis chapter 2, before he plants plants, he has to make a man because he's going to plant a garden. And these plants are a garden. So like I read in um, Kyle Dillich's uh, commentary on Genesis, which you can find on biblehub.org, these plants in Genesis chapter 2 are plants that are specific to the garden itself. Um, so... I hope you're starting to see the picture. You have a creation of the earth and life on it, and the whole earth has plants, the whole earth has animals, but then there's this per, uh, special space that's walled out. We, we know that, um, I'll, I'll read the verse in a minute, but we know from the scripture that uh, the garden had a wall around it and it had a gate, and with inside of that, um, area that God had created man for that space and he created special plants for that um, space and I also believe that um, he created the animals some special animals for um, that space but it says in Genesis 3 24 so he drove the man out he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. So God drove Adam out and Eve out of the garden, and he placed a barrier at the gate so that they could not enter in. And of course, you'd have to have a wall because you could enter in at any spot if you wanted to unless everything was walled in and there was only a gate there. And um, so, you know, um, however, this really pictures out what kind of supernatural wall or whatever it was, there was a way into the garden. There was a, isolated it from the rest of the world. So there was this isolated space called the garden, and then there was the rest of the world. So from this, we should be able to understand clearly that being in the garden was better than being outside the garden. So if God's proclamation about how he created um, good um, ends in 25, and if we believe then that verses 26 through 31 talk about specifically the garden where there is human beings and there God created plants for those humans to consume, then we would understand that verse 130 is specifically talking about how life is inside of the garden. Um, The other, the other key factor we need to account for is um, in, in Genesis, uh, hold on one second here. In Genesis uh, chapter 1, in like between 26 and 31, God gives up, he gives a command to the humans that they are to subdue and have dominion over the creation. So the question is, 
if everything is perfect, what is there to subdue and have dominion over? Subdue means to put under, to take control of. And so what is there for Adam and Eve to take, or all the human race which would come, what is the... Um, what is it that they're supposed to do and have dominion over? Well, it would appear then that if the garden was a very good space, it was a space that was controlled by God, um, it was where God's will was being done, then it would then appear that um, if they were to have subdue and have dominion over the world, that they were supposed to bring that same paradise to the entire world. I I do have this verse here about the animals. In verse chapter 2, verse 18 and 19, it says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone, and I will make him a help meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. Um, so, here we see that after Adam's created, God creates some animals. And it would be, I think it's reasonable to think that these animals were special, just like the plants, to be within the garden. And they were probably all herbivores, as we would expect, because God said in chapter 1, verse 30, that um, uh, that he gave the, the plants for them to eat. Uh, so, we see that the earth was created with plants and animals, the whole earth, and Genesis chapter 1, 25 ends up with God saying that was good, and then it picks up with the creation of man, and if we correlate that with chapter 2, this is the, this is the beginning of the garden. And so, Jap, uh, verses 26 through 31 are specifically talking about a very special place with very special plants and animals, and where God's dominion is and His rule is, and it's it's a very it's a very good place as compared to the good place outside the garden. And man's job was to was to aid God in taking that dominion, that paradise, that space, and expanding it to the whole entire earth. <clears throat> so we come to Genesis chapter three, verses seventeen and eighteen. And it says, and and Adam's, and unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I command thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake, in sorrow thou shalt eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns and thorns also and thistles shall bring forth unto thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. And so the in Kyle Dilch's commentary, they, they note that this word field means the area outside the garden in where the plants of, of Genesis um, chapter 1 that were created on day 3. This is, the, this is because now Adam is going to be outside the garden. He can no longer eat of the stuff that's in the garden. He has to eat of the stuff outside the garden. And I may be wrong about this, but it appears to me then that... Um, the curse isn't so much that the ground has changed. Yes, as cursed is the ground for thy sake, but it's the fact that because God is not going to be aiding them in bringing and subduing the earth. And so 
unlike being in the garden where Adam would not have to toil against that because God's dominion is there, outside the garden, now God's going to have to toil. I mean, Adam's going to have to toil against the earth because God's not going to aid him in that. And in fact, Adam's going to have to face death, which outside the garden, which would then also give us the idea that other things face death outside the garden. Now, if I think about the fossil record, it shows all kinds of animals that were designed to kill from the start. And that's what this scientist, uh, this, this biologist, um, found out about the snake. It was designed from the start to, to kill. And, you know, particularly, I mean, you may come up with some reasonable kind of um, explanation for animals that seem to have canine teeth and designed to kill that there was enough vegetation and they were designed to eat that. But I think that case is really hard, at least in my mind, to make for sea life because there just isn't that much plant life and everything seems to be made to kill each other. Um, there seems to be this massive food chain of living things. Um, and then there's the other idea that even animals are designed with defense systems. So one of the things that young earth creationists will say, and I agree with this, is that uh, people should believe in a God by what they see. Romans 1.20 says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. Yet, you see what I'm saying? A young earth creation says, look at the creation, believe what you see, and it's a marvelous creation, and there's no other explanation of this complex design than that there's a designer. That's what they say on the one hand, and then they turn and they look at a stake, or they look at you know animals, and they say, well, I must be wrong about what I'm seeing, because there's this verse that says, and God gave them the herb to eat. Well, maybe that was limited to the garden. Maybe you misunderstand that. And I think that's what's going on here. So if we think of the Bible story as a whole, I think this even supports this to a greater degree. Um, God created a good world. Um, part of that was the life cycle of animals. And there were all kinds of ferocious animals lurking outside the garden. Humans were created to tame the earth by following God. They failed, and as a result, we read in Romans 8.22, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth together in pain until now. So the idea was, is because Adam, the original humans, and we are part of that, failed to bring God's goodness, his very special paradise, his very special world, to the whole earth, the whole earth is still waiting for that to take place. And in fact, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught us to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The, thy kingdom, that was the garden, the paradise of God. That was what we, that's what we're supposed to pray. So God promised that one day um, the job would be completed by a second Adam, the Messiah. Um, that promise we can find in Isaiah chapter 11. And it's kind of lengthy, but I think it's important for us to read it in this context. 
And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse. A branch shall grow out of his roots. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and shall make him a quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And the righteous shall be the girdle of his loins, and the faithfulness the girdle of his reins. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and the little child shall lead them, and the cow and the bear shall feed. And the young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox, and the suckling child shall play on the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockrice den, and they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. That's his kingdom. For the earth shall be full of knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So you see that. That's a promise that someday... Uh, the Messiah is going to come and he's going to do what the original Adam did not do, what the original humans have failed to do, was to cause peace upon the whole world, peace upon the whole earth. And we find the completion of this in Revelation 21, 3 and 4. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. That's God dwelling with man like he did in the garden. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be, and, and they shall be his people, and God Himself shall be with them and be their God, and they shall, and God shall wipe away all their tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall be any more um, pain, for the former things are passed away. Think about this for a moment. You and I were created to bring peace to an imperfect world. We were to bring the garden to the four corners of the earth. Instead, we have, we've had to suffer all along until Jesus came. And now Jesus has called us to come back to the original task of bringing his kingdom. And that's what he said when he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he said in Matthew 4, 23, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. See, Jesus is bringing this wonderful message of bringing back God's kingdom where, and the job to be completed where the whole earth becomes filled with His glory. The whole earth becomes at peace. So conclusion, how do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as a human being created to bring the kingdom, the garden back to the earth? Or do you see yourself as having really no purpose but to be a good person until you die or Jesus returns. Think about that. Um, so, I, I hope you see clearly what I've tried to demonstrate. That Genesis 1 through 25 talks about the creation of the world as a whole. Genesis um, 26 through 31 specifically talks about the creation of the garden and all that's in it.
Genesis chapter 2 elaborates on that um, creation of the garden, creation of the man and his purpose with the garden. And so inside the garden was very good. It was a, a place of no death. It was a place where only herbs were eaten. And then outside the garden was a place that um, had thorns and thistles and, and, uh, and death and problems that men were supposed to bring, subdue, but they failed. And then they had to live without the aid of God trying to subdue it. Well, you know, God promised Israel many times that if they obeyed his commandments, he would subdue the land. He would bring the rain. He would help them bring the land in order. And of course, Israel always failed at this. And that's the hope was for them to inherit the land and for God to bring forth his kingdom. And we find that in, in Jesus Christ. So that's the story. I, that's the way I believe it. And that's why I can look at the, look at the evidence of animals designed to kill and I can, and then I see that, hey, but God wanted a certain, wanted us to be herbivores. And I don't understand how, how that would take place, how man could tame the earth, how the ox, um, the lion could eat hay like an ox and the child can play with the snakes. I don't understand that fully, but I don't understand the power of God either. So, all I know is that was seemed to be the original intent. So I can reconcile what I see, I can believe what I see, and still believe the Bible exactly what it says, not trying to uh, really um, twist it to get it to mean what I say, but just follow the order and the layout and the, the story of the Bible. So I hope you find this, you found this interesting. Please, I would ask you to subscribe, subscribe to this. Um, or if you um, are listening on my podcast, you subscribe to my podcast. If you would feel so inclined, you can go to my website, husbandman.org, to find out some other articles I have about things. But there you can find a link on how you can donate to my Patreon site. I would really appreciate that. Um, go ahead and give this a like if you would do so. And I just appreciate you telling others about it. It would be so beneficial. beneficial. I would like for more people to be able to question me, to learn along with me, and, and we do this journey together. Thank you so much. I love you. God loves you. God bless until next time. And I'm going to leave you with some verses to read.